Mason, you got a little heart going on your screen. How did that happen? Whoa. There's a little reaction it. thing on the bo- in the bottom. Uh, Whoa. If you have it on full screen, you have a little reaction thing right there. I wanted to just give you a heart. To- oh. Whoa! <laughs> I'm doing the wow face. Jake, can you do uh, that too? I don't know. What's this? Oh, doing anything for you? He's not pleased. Oh, no. Was that a pleased or was that looked like I was going to beat you up? I don't know. That's like what that was. I don't know what that reaction Uh, is. It's very, it's like a pissed guy who's clapping. Yeah, it is. Uh, It's like a very good. You did your thing. You you did a podcast. Congratulations. It's on the list. It's on the list. Everybody wants to get. And uh, that's it. We're done. Thanks, guys, so much for listening. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got to. We probably should do this one again. I had my eyes closed the entire pod. Can we do it again? You had your eye closed the entire podcast? Seriously? Yeah, yeah sorry, t- dude. The entire podcast, you've had your eyes closed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I want to do it again. Listen, I'm not as much of a All right, professional man, we can start as you. Over. Sure. Sounds yeah, okay, great. Yeah, no, no, no. No, we what? can do it. A, we can do it fucking again. I just, you know, this is 22 or 23 episodes, and I thought you'd have, like, a good. Uh, you'd understand the protocol at this point, but we could we could do the whole fucking show again if you want. Like that's that's cool with me, man. Okay, why don't you go ahead and lead us in then, dude? Go for it. Okay, if you're so good yeah. at it. Sure. Yeah. No, I I'm happy to. I'm happy to because I'm a fucking professional. I know how to do this shit. I do this shit two times a week most weeks. Uh, hey everybody. <laughs> hey, how's welcome it going? Mo- hey, hey, hey is that bothering the, you, Mason? Mo- that I intercut you while we were doing the intro? Does that fucking bother you, dude? No, it's okay. How you do? It's it's fine. This is it's on the list. <laughs> this this is a this is a podcast about underrated media, music, and movies. We have a guest who's been waiting very patiently on his end. Yeah. So I don't want I don't want to keep him waiting any longer. But uh, you know him as a writer and improviser around Los Angeles. He's also one of the core five cast members of the of the Twitch comedy improv show Everything Now. I saw him last night. He crushed it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the pod, Jake Ellenbogen. Let's get some claps in the chat. Wow, thank you. Wow, what an introduction. You know me. You know me. I'm from Everything Now. Noah knows me. (laughs) Noah was also on Everything Now last night. He crushed it as well. It was a good episode. Oh, sweet. It was fun. It was really scary. He played a podcaster, which I'm now interested to see how much of this, how much of his character was just ripped from this experience. Ooh. We like to do uh, rip from the headlines stuff here on the pod, so it'll probably yeah. be pretty close. It'll probably it'll be like well. a uh, like a Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network situation. It'll be like about as close as you can possibly get. Okay, perfect. I'm excited to see that. <laughs> so, if you're the Mark Zuckerberg, am I the uh, Eduardo Saverin or am I the uh, the Sean Parker of this podcast? You're the Rooney Mara of the pod. You're- oh, I'm way down with that, dude. I was watching Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with the Fincher commentary earlier, and man, I'm way in on being Rooney Mara right now. That sounds cool to me. Talk about, like, if you want to, like, rank the tops in movie history, she's, like, number one on my list of, like, tops i'd let her you know fuck me on top that's what i'm trying to say (laughs) what i'm trying to say um Uh, i respect her for her for her talent and her uh and her her career and the fact that she's a smart uh lady as far as i can tell but you you do you dude yeah no yeah 100 yeah that's that's all stuff Uh, we have two chicago boys on the pod they can't see this but there's a chicago flag Behind me in our group Skype chat right now, I'm feeling like I'm representing here in California. 
Yeah, dude. Where are you from? About are you from the city proper? You have the three one two. Not to put you too much on blast, but you do have the three one two zip yes, code. Yes, please dox me three one two three three zero eight, and then you can guess the last three digits. Have fun with that. <laughs> That's a little puzzle. But I'm uh, I'm not from Chicago proper, which is why I hesitate to even bring it up because I am from Oak Park, which has an L stop. You know and what it is directly bordering. It's right on the city line, so it's. I mean, I'm from Downers Grove, and my sister lives current, not currently because she's at home with us in DG, but her apartment's in Oak Park. So I'm very familiar with that, and that basically counts. Okay. It's about as close as you can get without going into the city proper. So I, not that my word account amount, amounts to much on this this show, but I, it's good. <laughs> you're good on me, buddy. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't uh, Oak Park the John Hughes neighborhood? Uh, No, it is. Well, I kind of. So. I mean, he... John Hughes movies sort of take place in just like general Chicago suburbia. I don't know if I, I don't know if in it's in like the universe directly. Wa- yeah, it's like directly west. And when I think of like the John Hughes kind of neighborhoods and that kind of '80s Chicago like suburbs, it's like north. Yeah, like Winnetka. Like, yeah, Lake Forest. Lake Forest or, yeah, uh, Evanston yeah. maybe. Uh, Big Evanston. Oh yeah. Yeah, but Oak Park is uh, they're famous for. Uh, Ernest Hemingway and Frank Lloyd Wright yeah. and uh, what's his name? Thomas and Lennon. Tom right? Lennon. Yeah, <laughs> Thomas Lennon. <laughs> Fucking is that Officer Dangle? Is that who that? Is? I never watched Reno 911. Yeah. Oh, dude, you would love Reno. Reno is great. I can't believe you've never uh, yeah, watched Reno 911. That'd be that's so up your alley, dude. That's like you would. Yeah, Officer. D- <laughs> My favorite, the one Reno 911 bit that I know, like kind of inside and out, is New Boot Goofin. Um, are you familiar with that one? Oh yeah, of course. No, I'll send it to you later. Uh, any, all the real Reno nine one ones and state heads know this bit, but it's uh, it's it involves <laughs> uh, Officer Dangle himself getting new getting new boots, uh, and then I'll leave it at that. But, wow. Uh, yeah, Jake, good to have you on the pod, buddy. How's LA? Go? I'm glad How's to LA? be here. Uh, LA is right now like really kind of nasty. It's really. Like- raining and cold and obviously we're in quarantine so we can't like go i guess it doesn't really oh you're matter. doing that too you're doing quarantine as well oh we're like full fully doing it at our house we just well technically we just put in a, an order to have booze delivered to our house but Hell yeah. uh, other than that there's been no no leaving for food no deliveries no nothing nice so oh we're wow like, we're in full ice yeah we're going full isolation mode i've been eating a lot of cans okay not ca- the cans themselves the thing inside the can what has been inside chilies. those cans uh i do chilies i've Ooh. done a couple soups i had this like good potato like bacon cheese soup Hell yeah. thing Nice, dude. Um, are these all from like TJ's, or are these just from v- random places that you can just get a, a can? Because I su- I survived on TJ's canned chili for a little bit in my late college career. Yeah, these are I I have not gotten I haven't tried TJ's chili. These are stag. You know stag chili? No, no. It's like it's just cans. Man. <laughs> it's just canned meat, beans. Just a, just a nice need. nice couple of cans on that one over I th- there. I throw some sour cream on that. A little shredded cheddar. Hell yeah! Dinner. Now lunch. you're cooking, dude. And now I'm cooking. And you're now over here. I'm cooking. a real chef. <laughs> I eat mac and cheese. I eat hot dogs. <laughs> nice, dude. It's kind of like going like back heat. to when you're like in like elementary school and you have to like or not even that like we just have to, you have to like fix yourself something that's in the house. It's like, what do we fucking have in the house? And you just throw whatever you can in the microwave or the stove. 
a hundred percent. That really is it. I don't know what it is about the correlation between kids' food and food that just happens to last forever in a can or like on a <laughs> shelf, but like for some reason, all that there's a big overlap. There's that Venn diagram is huge. It's basically just two circles on top of each other at that yeah. point. Um, we have kids will eat anything. We have we have two. Uh, speaking of two circles that overlap on top of each other with very little Venn Ugh. diagram, uh, you see segue. how I did that? Yes, great segue. Segway great kings segue. on this pod. Yeah, really well done. Um, the as you've seen from the title of this podcast already, uh, this is a first where we both not only have we uh, fuck we have a movie and a record that are basically one and the same. It is the. Into the Wild soundtrack and the film Into the Wild, directed by Sean Penn. Let's get some claps in the chat going for Into the Wild. So, if you... (laughs) Eagle-eared... Eagle-eared? Come on, dude. Yeah, well, remember that uh, longtime listeners of two weeks ago will remember that Rocky Parrito had a similar idea when he came on to discuss I Heart Huckabees. He wanted to talk the John Bryan score, but settled on talking the Mollusk. We uh, shut his, him fucking down. We, we shut said, him fucking do down. Do not no. bring that on the pod. <laughs> uh, but this was, I think, I think the interesting thing about this, and we'll get into it, is that they're, uh, uh, I don't know, Jake. Do you want to discuss your um, what these the Into the Wild means to you? Like, are you did you ever read the uh, the John Krakauer novel? Uh, like, it was just Chris? No. Oh, I've, really? I've never read the book, which I think is part of the reason that I like the movie because my experience with the movie was I found this movie when I was like maybe middle school, like fourteen or fit. No, that would have been high school, fourteen or fifteen. So oh. younger than that, like like eleven or twelve. Didn't I, I? I after having seen it at that age, I found out that that book, the book that the Into the Wild by John Crack, what is his name? John Crack, yeah, yeah. That's like a signed reading for a lot of kids. Oh, yeah. I think Big is it really book. in high school? Yeah, we we had the option to read that in middle school. It was either that or like some book about a girl who grows rice. Like that. <laughs> those are the two options. <laughs> Dude, this in is, a, middle this school. is a pretty bleak book to like assign to middle schoolers. And it's like, I want to know what your impression of this, like when you were seeing this at 11 or 12, like just, so how, had it, how long had the movie been out at this point also is, is my question. Cause I remember well, being, it came out when 2007. Yeah. So it must've been like right after that. Cause I would have been, I mean, when was I? If, if it was 2007, I would have been 13. Sure. So it must. I didn't see it in theaters. I remember yeah. vividly seeing it on an iPod video. You watched this movie on iPod video while you were scaling yeah, with the a side friend. of the mountain. Yeah. Oh I watched God. the the first time. No, I was camping. It was the first time oh, no. I was. This is I was nuts. Camp, I was at summer camp, and I saw. I have a vivid memory of being in a tent, watching this movie on an iPod video with one earbud, sharing it with a friend. He was showing as, me because he was obsessed with this intended. movie. <laughs> and yeah, it was quite the experience. So the first time I heard the album, I guess I only heard one side of it technically. Um, wow! But it. But my experience was great. I was like, "This is ideal. Like camping is cool. Like the story is cool." This guy is really interesting. And then only later on in like college and high school did I realize that a lot of people's take on this movie is that it is that this guy sucks. Yeah. And it's like a spoil. Yes. Like that is like, and I was like, what the fuck? Like this is, I love this movie. It's so good. So that's why I felt compelled to defend it. Cause I feel like it, it, it's not underrated. It like 
did really well critically when it came out. Mm -hmm. Like people seemed to like it. It, it, uh, but then it became like almost like an inception thing where it became cool to not like it. Interesting. Okay. I think that what's, I think while like a couple of things I wanted to touch on there as well, I think you're, I think you're a hundred percent right. And I would actually say that the movie is underrated in that way because it's like a American beauty or a Forrest Gump in that way where it's like cool to shit on it because it's, yes. it's pretty much specifically because I think this movie is better than both of those, uh, both of those that you just named, but I agree with your point on this. <laughs> you, you don't want to see me when I'm angry, Mason. You won't like <laughs> when I'm angry. Uh, no, I, uh, well, that's a different conversation for another time. Uh, but, uh, I think it is cool to shit on this, uh, guy, not even the book, not even like the movie as a whole, because we'll get into this here in just a sec, which is like, and, and I, I want to jump off that point. Cause that is one of my least favorite critiques of any work of when it's like the, I don't like the character, like the main character is mean or like, you don't agree with them. Like that to me is such a silly thing to not like. I mean, it's one thing to say that they're not compelling or that they're uninteresting or boring, but if you're just like, I didn't like him. He was, he like burned all his money and he was stupid and a spoiled brat. Like, yeah, that's what makes him an interesting, compelling, like not an anti-hero, but like a, a tragic figure that yeah. is just kind of like, anyway, we can get into more of that. But at that point uh, that you made, Noah, I think that, that people hate this guy, hate this guy more than they hate this movie. Uh, and that like feeds into the movie 100 yeah. percent. and because it's it's had its it's had its like long history it started as an article that john krakauer wrote then it was expanded into a book then was uh you know made into this film we'll get into all that but i, I like what you said even more specifically about how it you watched this in a tent because as i was watching yeah. this movie i thought to myself fuck dude i hate camping so much camping <laughs> sucks and so i wanted to know where you guys stand on camping but jake you said you were at a summer camp or were you actually camping in the woods or was it both well it was both i went to a summer camp i'm jewish so i went to summer camp growing yeah. up that's like part of the thing when you're like a jew especially a chicago suburbs oh, Jew. Yeah. like you, you go, go to, to like summer michigan camp. or wisconsin or something yeah, yeah dude. you go to you go to a, a summer camp in michigan yeah what was the name of that one? My buddy, Jack Freiberger, our friend of the pod, he would always go to Camp Minicani. Did you ever go to Camp Minicani in Wisconsin? No, but I definitely knew kids who, like, you would go to, like, bar mitzvahs, and they would be like, oh, do you go to Minicani or Greenwoods or Lake of the Woods? There's, like, four <laughs> Jewish camps just all in the area, and you just know all the Jews in town. But this was one of those, and I was on a canoeing trip. So, like, you'd go for, like, three weeks to sleep away there, and then during one of the weekends you would just like drive out to a river and canoe for like was it a like day in like the boundary waters or something uh, in that's a good question that was a no this was okay. in michigan it was like central michigan oh gotcha boundary waters is wisconsin i don't know what i'm talking about yeah i mean that's the thing it, coming from the suburbs of chicago i grew up protestant and i grew up uh going to ucc church in the southwest side of uh in like palis park and every there was like two or three summers where I went to a week long, like kind of summer camp that was like in Sawyer, like about an hour outside of the city in Sawyer, Michigan at Tower Hill. Um, oh, I know Sawyer. Yeah. 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 And you would go there, but like just for, I would go there, but like just for a week. Um, and so like I, we would go camping a lot when I was a kid. I have not gone camping and I have fond memories of camping. I like camping. I like being outdoors. Uh, one of my favorite. I'm an int- you're sorry, an indoor go for kid. Mason. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Well, I was, I was, uh, okay. Ah! What? 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 
Uh, no. What? <laughs> this is great. Uh, I was just going to say, one of my favorite things that I like to do right before I moved out of L.A. was just drive up to uh, Angeles, the Angeles Forest, and just, like, kind of be in that general area. Like, even from inside of my car, I wouldn't, like, stay overnight or anything, but just, like, being in the fresh air and seeing... That I like the outdoors a lot. Noah's an indoor kid, as he was trying to say. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not cool when you say I'm an indoor kid. Like that's like something that like you hear like your mom say to her friend over the phone about you, and then you like adopt that, and you're like, no, I'm more of an indoor. I feel like kid. that's. That's how you describe like a dog or like a cat. Like this is an indoor cat. It doesn't really. It can go outside, but it's not good for. We don't it. like it when it finds its way outside. Um, but I was. I'm the exact. I'm actually a weird mix, kind of, of both of you in that. Um, my mom liked camping and she would always want us to go, but my dad fucking hates camping and like like does Got like it. he could do like a solid tight five about how much he hates camping <laughs> like that's how much he hates camping and i also am jewish jake i don't know if you knew that uh but i did not do the bar mitzvah thing we're not we don't practice at all and so like i knew like stories of like my dad and like his like friends and brother going to like bbyo camp and stuff like that um and like having friends who are also jewish in school going away and i always felt like the most like catholic jew that i knew because i was just like so <laughs> alien from all that i was like i didn't know like what it was like but i was like going to my like cousins bar mitzvahs and stuff like that but like nobody in my fucking immediate family was like oh we're going camping this weekend especially not like if we were gonna go camping it was not like oh we're gonna get the rv it was like or no they were not like we're gonna get the temple like it was like we're gonna get the rv we're gonna like basically stay at like a fucking resort yeah, in the yeah. Woods. that was like as close glamping. to camp that's it we would go glamping <laughs> at most and all my friends at like <laughs> elementary school were like oh you gotta go camping so i love the fact that you watched this in a tent because I did have the thought like when he's like in magic bus, like, like, like carving the thing into the belt. I'm like, fuck, I couldn't even like light a fire if I had to, like this guy's like yeah, on right. another fucking level. Well, it didn't seem fun. Like all, my <laughs> least favorite part of the movie is the part where he's in the wild, <laughs> which is like, like that to me is the least, which is sort of like that. And that's part of why I love this movie is because I feel like the actual, the movie itself, it demonstrates the thesis. Like, how much, the parts that I enjoy, the thesis of the movie, in my opinion, is like, it's good, like, you need to have people in your life. Like, he finds out, like, he thinks that people are evil, and that they're the root of that all the, you know, tragedy and, and chaos in the world, and that if he can just leave from all that and isolate himself, that'll be happy. And then, of course, at the end, he finds out that he needs to have people to be happy, and, and it kills him. Uh, but that is also sort of uh, how I felt about the movie where all the parts that are interesting and, and full of like color and love and, and texture are the parts where he's meeting all these people and then you would cut to these like the flash forwards of him in the bus alone and it's like very like cold and frankly like boring to me like some of the stuff is interesting like when he's like cutting up the moose or whatever right. um, but it's sort of like these long drawn out isolated moments um that i feel like demonstrate what the film is trying to say i think that's i think that's part. really smart and i think that i um the the way that well first of all it's a great read on i think the thesis of the Absolutely. film of that love like you need 
you know, these people in your life, not only do you need people in your life, but people in, actually make your life better. Like these relationships that you establish. Cause he's very much so into the Henry David Thoreau thing. Like he definitely is like, everybody knows a kid like him at minimum in college, but definitely yeah. like high school or college. And I think Did that you guys ever read Walden. We, you, we, I had we to. Come back to this. You had to read I had Walden. To, I, I did not. I had to yeah. read it. We. I had to quote unquote. I, one of the teachers that I could not fucking stand in high school. He was my eleventh and twelfth grade uh, AP lit comp teacher, uh, and he would always assign four books over summer uh, to read. And one of them one summer was Walden. And I just remember reading like the first page and like, I think the opening line is something like I choose to live in the woods because I choose to live deliberately. And I like was like, Oh boy, we are fucking in it now. baby. (laughs) And I like would flip through the book. And at one point, like he's talking about like, I had to scavenge scavenge for food and I had to put leaves on myself to keep warm. And like, I did like background research on the fucking book. He was like in like a, like, a, like a park, basically, like really close to his mom's house. Yeah, like, it wasn't even like in the woods. <laughs> sometimes it's it's that's what gets like lost in the kind of like the 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 mystique of the transcendentalism movement or whatever the American kind of like going to the wild, you know, sort of thing. Is that like some of those guys were getting like waited on hand and foot more or less by like people that were nearby. Like they weren't doing this. Like Christopher Candlest is to my knowledge, one of the only guys that actually went out by himself. And yeah, I it's this, the movie is absolutely about like how, uh, important like human connection is to just survive. Like that's what I, it was, this is such a this is such a tricky movie. I feel like I have a lot of different conflicting thoughts about the Chris, Chris McCandless as a, as a person, I think that we could probably will probably be unpacking on this episode, but the thing I like that the thrust of the movie is you need these sort of like these social connections are the things that are going to push you along on your journey, wherever you're going to go. And you can't reject it. You know, like that's not a, a, you're not really living at that point. You're kind of just putting yourself in misery almost for its own sake. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's such a, this I, I, I really uh, appreciated this. It's so wild when you think about other movies that came out in 2007. Like, this movie was not... You would see this movie now and think, like, oh, Oscar bait, Oscar bait, Oscar bait. But it had, like, only two Academy Award nominations. Like, this movie came out the same yeah, year as that There Will after. Be Blood and No Country for Old Men, which is nuts to think oh, about. Well. Damn. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, right? Like, it's it, this movie, like, stood no, like, kind of no chance... <laughs> No year. contest for Into the Wild of the no Oscars. Contest, That's what no. it should have been called. <laughs> the um, it's rough too because they both those are both also just like great huge scope movies that this movie was like that. It is not that they're really thematically very similar or even I mean, but just like in the idea of like these grandiose like <clears throat> cinematic explorations of of the American not well countryside I suppose in a way for. There will be blood and and no country for old men. Yeah, uh, and Into the Wild is definitely worse than both of those. <laughs> movies, I feel like it's a big sell uh, on Into the Wild right good. there. But they're great. I mean, but it's such a good movie, so it is. It's a shame I didn't even look that up to see what it went up against. But now that you say that, it makes yeah. I'm sense. looking at the Academy Awards for best the, the the nominations for Academy Awards for best picture for this year. This is nuts. So this I, movie absolutely did not stand a chance. No Country for Old Men won. 
and also nominated against it. This is one of the last years that they had only five nominations. So the other four were There Will Be Blood, Atonement, Juno, and Michael Clayton. Um, wow. Which are, I, Atonement is the only one of those movies I haven't seen, but just I really admire Juno and Michael Clayton um, to such a degree that it's like, this is a crazy good year for the Academy Awards, you know? Like, and, just, and to think that, like, Juno even being in contention as a possibility in 2020 is, like, not even a thought. I mean, and that's the thing, is, like, I don't know what you're got. I, I was watching this movie also. This is the first time I had seen it also, by the way. I, you know, this came out when I was in seventh grade, and it was big when I was, like, getting into movies at that time, and it just kind of passed by, either because it was, like, rated R and I couldn't go see it, or I just, like, honestly uh, didn't care one way or the other. Uh, and I was watching this movie, and I was like, this is crazy that movies like this just used to kind of come out and people would see yep. them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just a movie about, like, that is, like, kind of a travelogue of the United States um, with just, like, this, this, gorgeous cinema, this, this gorgeous cinematography of just a guy going on, like, a spiritual quest. And it came out in theaters and grossed, like, $54 million on a $20 million budget. Like, you just don't have those anymore. Like, not even on Netflix, I don't Yeah, care. well, it's interesting because it's big and small in a way. Like, it's it's grandiose in the way it, that, totally. like, like you said, like, you see all these, you see the, the uh, rapids at the Grand Canyon, and you're, and you're going, you have these huge cinematic shots of, like, the Redwood Forest. And, and, of course, when he's in Alaska, these, like, sweeping. So it's huge in that way. But then it's also, like, small when you compare it to the action of, of like a Avengers movie or something like that, where you, the whole time it's just this one yeah. little guy's small interactions with these kind in these podunk towns. Uh, so it is it is kind of like blockbustery in the way that in the way that it's shot, but the actual story is like such a little story that I feel like you don't see at now. Well, who knows what's going to happen with movie theaters now? Well, we we actually yeah. yeah we actually briefly mentioned this movie on the pod before when uh, Rocky was on the first time because we were going through Paramount Vantage's top five right. grossing movies of all time because Paramount Vantage no longer exists. It was the same thing as like a Fox Searchlight or a um, Sony mm. Pictures Classic or something like that. And this was a top five grossing movie for Paramount Vantage. I don't remember. Yeah. Which, where it fell in the thing, you'd have to go back to our previous episodes and listen to all the episodes in the release order to find out. But Tell, tell your friends to listen to our podcast, too. <laughs> but it was a top five grocer for that company, and, and that was literally 13 years ago. That's not very long ago in no. the grand scheme of things. And yet, you will just, for at least as far as we can tell, it's very unlikely you'll see something like this released in theaters by a major distributor. I wanted to quickly go back to what you were saying, uh, Jake, about the scenes in the uh, the scenes when he's actually in the wild, because that's how the movie opens. And I'm just gonna say from here on out, this isn't really a movie where there are spoilers, I guess. But just as yeah. a blanket statement, spoiler alert throughout the rest of the conversation because it's impossible to talk about this movie I think without saying how the thing ends. Yeah, well and it's it's all yeah, flashbacks yeah. and flash forward. It's like non-linear really. It's like bouncing back and forth between the the end of the wild and, and his story so it's hard to describe. And also people read this in high school, so I think apparently. So if you don't know it by <laughs> people, now. People quote unquote yeah. read this in high school. They told their teachers that they read, "Oh yeah, I read chapters 4 through 8 like last night 100%." Uh, but <laughs> This the structure of this movie is pretty awesome. It's a very straightforward structure when you're able to sort of look at it, I think, 
after having seen the movie. But while I was watching the movie a couple days ago, I was like, man, this thing is really complex. Like I had that thought running through my head, but like when I watched it or when I thought about it after watching it, I'm like, Oh, this is a really great structure because you have the parallel action of as he's entering the wild and as he's sort of entering the journey of I'm going to make my way to Alaska so that both things collide at the same moment of him leaving. And also Emil Hirsch, what happened to him, but Holy shit. Hal Holbrook in this movie is so Hal Holbrook was one of the two Academy Award nominations. It was nominated for Academy Award for best film editing for Jay Cassidy and lost to the born ultimatum, which understandable. Uh, But Hal Holbrook was the only other Academy Award uh, nomination for Best Supporting Actor and lost to Javier Bardem as Anton Trigger. And it's like, dog, Hal Holbrook is my fucking man. So this is interesting. I was hoping that, I was so glad that Hal Holbrook came up because I have one of the wildest celebrity encounters with Hal Holbrook because he was in the theater, um, the same theater I was at the Arclight uh, Hollywood uh, when I saw Moonlight. No way. I saw Moonlight with Hal Holbrook. <laughs> well, that is exactly who Moonlight was made for, too, so I'm glad Absolutely. he showed up. Hal yeah. freaking Holbrook, dude, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm I'm with you 100%. Like, that was the only thing that I knew about the, more or less about the movie movie was Holbrook's performance. And I was just kind of sitting waiting for it, and I was just fucking gutted, dude. Like, that is, he's so yeah, good in this fucking amazing. movie. He is one of, and he's one of those guys that, like, you and he's really only on screen for what thirty minutes at most. I mean, he's not on screen for very yeah, long. Yeah, he's really only in the last third or fifth or however this is like kind of structured. But he's like the last human connection that he has, aside from the last guy that sees him alive who plays himself. But yeah, he's like the last kind of relationship that he has. And I and I was and as and like along that road with the structure, you get like the his life before entering Alaska and his life as he's in Alaska. And both things are coming to the most dramatic climactic part at the same time. So when that moment does finally hit it's two and a half hours long, plus, you know, including credits, it's a little bit of a longer movie, but when you do finally get to that moment about, you know, two hours, 15 two twenty of your way through, it just fucking hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, he like the literally how Holbrook's character is like, what if I adopted you and you were like legally my son because he knows that he has nobody and how Holbrook also has nobody left. So they are foils in that way. And he literally like shoots him down so hard. And he's like, maybe when I get back and you know, because of how the movie's edited and the structure of it, Boy's not coming back. Dude is gone. He is in Magic Bus permanently, and it's so heartbreaking. Well, that yeah, that's a great point about that sort of being his last moment. And it it is sort of like all the the parts leading up, all the the journey getting to uh, Alaska parts are sort of just various lessons for Christopher McCandless to realize that he needs people. And so that's that's what makes it so like tragically ironic at the end when he's get like every time it's like you need compassion he, he first other than the one with Vince Vaughn where it like it's not really about society, clear how man. Christopher McCandless how Christopher McCandless touches this guy's life but like with the with the hippie couple yeah. um and with uh Kristen Stewart's character yeah. Case and two. Then obviously with Hal Holbrook um in each of those relationships like you see how his being in their lives transforms them in some way and, pro- and progresses their their life in some way especially with Hal 
at the end and each time it's like basically reminding christopher like you need these interactions you need companionship you need part of part of moving forward and, and growing in life it's like having these relationships and then you see him just go into the wild and then have to basically learn that lesson the hard way after having all of these chances basically to learn that lesson yeah. over the court like he he provides that lesson to and other people and i think he writes in the book like ha- it's par- i'm going to paraphrase but it's like happiness is like moot without it being shared or he says it in like very like caveman yeah, happiness language. only real yes, when shared yes caveman language like he writes it like in the field guide and then he dies and that's it and it's so sad in it yeah oh god i mean this, what a what a what a what a death sequence too. Just like he curls, he gets himself, uh, and uh, like yeah. To your point, uh, Emil Hirsch, he did this, and then he was in the movie Milk, and then uh, I was checking. Oh, out that's his, right. Yeah, he yeah. was in Milk. He plays. Uh, is it? Is he's uh, one of Sean Penn's boyfriends, right? Or is he James Franco's boyfriend? I'm not sure. I th- I remember him in the movie. He's just like kind of a community organizer. He's I don't think he's one. His the two boyfriends that Harvey Milk has in the movie are, as far as I remember, James Franco and Diego Luna. But he was in that, and then he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year as Jay Sebring. Um, but yeah, apparently, that's right. he also uh, and this is kind of rough. Apparently, he also um, was convicted of assaulting uh, an ex- some some executive at yikes. Park City in Park City, Utah, which is a big yikes in 2015. He kind of did his he did his time for that, I think. And I think that kind of he, put him in the bat and like a, a, he was in movie taste. jail a little bit. I mean, you don't he really want to yeah. work with someone like that. But, but he also immediately doing Into the Wild. It's like that's probably like the role of your career. He does fucking Speed Racer, which is definitely a movie that's it. that yeah. you have to cover. We have to cover on this pod at some point. But just mini mini sidebar. Have you guys seen Speed Racer? I love Speed Racer. Dude. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I really love it's it. It's awesome. And he's the guy. And that movie was shit on beyond all belief when it came out. And it is like some of the most fun you can have like watching a movie. Like it is pure entertainment. I watched that movie. I yeah. think I, I we'll get to, we, we can talk about Speed Racer in the Speed Racer pod. But yeah, that it's nuts that that movie, if that movie did not come out the same summer as both The Dark Knight and um, Iron Man, then Emile Hirsch would have a way different career. Um, I think, and just movies would be uh, different in a lot of ways. But <laughs> what did what did you guys think of Emil Hirsch? Like, I have I have sort of two. I'm of two minds of his performance in Into the Wild because part of me thought he like from an emotional perspective, his performance was really great. I thought like as an actor, he 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 was able to just to perform the facial emotions and the, and the, uh, and he did all of his own stunts which was oh, fucking yeah. amazing especially the rapids yeah he did everything by wow. himself like chopping up the the moose and like going through the river rapids and all that shit which kudos to him amazing but the one thing that i did not totally buy were anytime he was doing the um reading reading the poetry or reading like thoreau like all that stuff to me when he read it felt like he did not know what he was saying did that like like it hmm. felt like it the performance it felt like he didn't actually know what they were talking about or hadn't read it like that those parts did not how did you feel about the VO well all right there's both yeah. questions here how did you feel about Emil Hirsch and how did you feel about the VO overall I I think that as far as the poetry is concerned this is 
a character that's very well established in the beginning. Uh, he goes to Emory, which is a very expensive, very like hard to get in school in the South. Uh, yeah, definitely he's like, like an upper middle class like family. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and he's obviously comes, I think, from a little bit of money, and I think that him maybe knowing or not knowing really what he's saying might be weirdly part of the character almost like it's I like that. Yeah. I, like I could see that. I, you know, maybe that's yeah. not, you know, what exactly was intended, but that's kind of how I read it is like, this guy is lost to a certain extent and this gives him footing and grounding whether or not he really knows what the hell he's saying or not is like a completely different conversation. Uh, the VO for me. No, I think that's a great read. I think, I think, that your point is even proven at the end where it's like he he rereads all of these famous lines that he's been reading over and it and he neglects to have seen that like all basically all of the stuff that he's reading at the end is saying that you need people totally. in your yeah. life like i need to share this with my neighbor so i think that's a great read like over at the beginning of the movie you, he's demonstrating that he's ignoring these things and you as the audience member don't really know that unless you're familiar yeah, with those and I words think but then at the end, it's yeah, and I think the, the movie a, the movie starts with a Tennyson quote, right? It starts with like a Tennyson yes. quote about how man, like you need man, but you need nature more, which is a really interesting thing to posit at the beginning of the movie, where we know that the movie ends up. Yeah. That's this movie might be even better on a rewatch now that I think about it. It really is great on a rewatch. I highly recommend. I think that's such a specific a, a specific like um, thing of. Like, to your point about him not understanding, I think specifically, like, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and, like, these kind of Russian, like, kind of, quote-unquote, like, fringe authors, her, however, get, like, extremely fetishized by specifically young, young white Dudes. men. Yeah. You know? Um, that just, like, kind of read it. I mean, I've never read Dostoevsky or, or Tolstoy, so I, I've only have, like, kind of observational understanding of it. But it is just, like... Because I'm thinking about, like, there was a guy at one of my production company jobs, like, when I was working, like, salary production company in H-Wood. Baby. Baby. Um, and he, like, he came from money, and he, like, kind of, he quit, I'm pretty sure, and just was, like, living off of, like, his, like, grandma's allowance last time I heard. But one of the last things I remember about this guy was him just, like, sitting in his desk and reading notes from the underground. Yeah, uh, fuck you yeah. know, yeah, that and, is such a trope, and it's it's um, I think that 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 no, that's such a good read because I think that you're right that he doesn't understand it, and I think the fact that he only brings he brings these books with him, and there's you know something to be said about taking your favorite literature, your favorite pieces, like you know your desert island or whatever. Um, your desert island choices, and he has his desert island books, but it, the movie also doesn't give you like doesn't make it seem like he's in, taken in any other kind of media or anything during this time or has any other kind of understanding so his view of the world even though he thinks it's this like kind of radical thing and he he like to his credit lives by this this standard or this 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 um this like kind of fantasy that he that he sets out to it's still very narrow in a way no matter how wide and how much of the country he ends up seeing um and I love his, uh, and I think to what I to your question about the VO, it bothered me a little bit in the moment when I was watching it, and then the further away from the movie I got, I was like, well, how else are you gonna like 
talk about this guy and give like the full context of this real life person that actually lived when he's not around to speak for himself and seems like the only kind of written log that he has is this like kind of the magic bus journal, which is like by design, very spare. Um, you kind of have to rely on these like letters or whatever from the Jenna Malone character, uh, Karen or Corinne um, McCandless um, to give us everything about Chris that he's not sharing with other people. Like he doesn't really talk about his family life or his upbringing and he doesn't even go by his real name and and except in the very beginning when he gets his um, diploma and at the very, very end uh, when he's reading the, like the, the, the guide and sees the thing about like calling it by its true name or whatever, um, which I think is just yeah. such a great, uh, that's a great visual thing. It's a great little bit of editing is they see the Alexander super, uh, Alexander super tramp. And then like that note card that he wrote and it pans down and you see it says Christopher Johnson McCandless. And I'm like, that's filmmaking, baby. <laughs> Speaking of filmmaking, I wanted to ask you guys, I wanted to know your guys' opinion uh, prior to watching this film or just in general, what is your opinion of Sean Penn as a guy slash actor? Because I'd never thought about him as a director and writer. I only thought about him as an angry fucking actor who would actually beat the shit out of you if you pay, A, paid him enough money or B, made him mad enough. Like, that is a guy I'd want on my side in a fight. Like, that's a no, like, joking around guy. So, Jake, what's your, what's your view yeah. of, of, of uh, Sean Penn in that way? I mean, yeah, you basically said it the same, like that, that's my impression as well. And that's another reason why I feel like this movie is so interesting. It's just like, I would, I didn't look into it at all, but I would love to have known how he came, like how the project came to him, what made him, like, it seems he really seems to care about this movie. Like it it doesn't feel like a little bit of research and apparently he wanted to make it for 10 years before the movie actually came out. Okay. He like read the book. This is like a passion project. The book came out in, um, the book came out in the early to mid 90s and he must have gotten a hold of it in the late 90s or whatever like probably like around the time he was doing dead man walking um which is that's that's not an amazing movie i don't know if you guys have seen it but he gives an amazing performance mm-hmm. there are some really amazing performances in that movie but um he is uh he probably gets it around then and uh he's been wanting he wanted to make it for 10 years and this is another check this out mason Segway king shit right here uh Woo! he offers eddie vetter the opportunity to do the score to it because he fucking knows Eddie Vedder somehow. And Eddie Vedder didn't read the script. He didn't even really know what the movie really was about. He took the job after one pitch from Sean Penn, because I'm sure on paper, that pitch probably is like, we would really like you to write some original music for this film into the wild, starring Emile Hirsch done by uh, whatever the production company was. But I'm sure what Sean Penn said without being said is really, we're going to let you basically make your next album. They just have to like make sure it fits in the movie. Cause that's really what this soundtrack is. I don't know about where you guys are coming from yet, but like this soundtrack is dope as fuck i would actually say yeah, upon dude. first listen i liked the soundtrack more than the movie where you stand on that jake i i have gone in phases of feeling that exact thing like i'll watch the movie and love the movie because it, it what you're saying is true like it feels separate but it also feels so perfect for the movie like it it, it feels like it obviously could stand alone and and feels like its own separate entity. But then when you see these songs used in the movie, you're like, of course, like it works 
it works beautifully and it, and it feels like it was intended to be that way. So, uh, I, there was a time when I would just listen to the, like right before college, when I would just listen to this album on repeat, yeah, like, walk around my neighborhood and just like look at trees. <laughs> and shit. You were looking at trees, just, smoking trees and going, yeah, college is going to be pretty epic for me. <laughs> yeah. Like that was prime time for this album was just like wandering around high as hell during the summer, right before yeah, college. Yeah, walking by the, uh, I was going to make a reference to some major throughway in Oak Park, but I, it, my brain had a fart for a second, but going by the Green Line station, smoking a little Green Lines, if you yeah. know what I'm talking oh, about. Absolutely. And listening to Gonna rise up. <laughs> going, taking the elevator to the top floor of the Sears Tower. Ooh, baby. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. It... Oh, nothing says Eddie Vedder like the observation. And Eddie Vedder's also Sears a Tower. Chicago guy, too, I think. I think I'm pretty sure he's from Evanston or some other nearby neighborhood. He's Do you a actually? Big... Yeah, he's a big he's a big Cubs fan. What? Oh, no way. Let That's awesome. I had no this. idea. I assumed he was from, like, Montana or some shit. Eddie Vedder, uh, there, uh, he is yeah, so, Evanston, like, Illinois. oh, fuck, dude. That's crazy because he is so tied to the Pacific Northwest, which is where I'm from, that you would, like, never think that he could be from anywhere outside of Seattle or Portland. But Evanston, That's the crazy Illinois, thing, yeah. Baby. Yeah, that's wild. Hell yeah. Were you, Mason, uh, were you at all into eddie vetter or pearl jam yeah when i was a kid when i was younger and like trying to get into music and going through like you know you have your classic rock phase and you kind of work your way through like the stones and acdc and zeppelin and whatever and you're like what's next you're like oh it's obviously grunge so you're listening to a lot of uh, uh, like per- uh, you're listening to like it's, i think there's some flurries coming down outside my window right now this is a little aside Mason, stay pretty. focused we got a podcast um, to do <laughs> but no so then i listen i when i was getting into like that era i was listening to and especially that's when like ro- uh, rock band was big and so i was listening oh, yeah. to even flow a lot and really rocking out to even flow and yeah. i knew who eddie vetter was because of pearl jam obviously and i think also because of the chicago connection um and it was right, I was getting into it right when this album was coming out. So, like, I listened to this album and uh, specifically Guaranteed uh, and uh, Rise and Hard Sun a lot when I was in, like, middle, early high school. Nice. Um, and it was such a pleasure to come back to this album because it just, man, dude, Hard Sun's got to be one of the best songs ever written it just it just gets you it that gets me right in like a kind of an adventurous spirit like i am whenever that oh, song yeah. plays that's like a car driving in the car with the windows down just shouting it at the top oh of yeah dude during the summer uh-huh. like that is like a, an anthem oh, song. For, yeah. for, for me the the my favorite and i would argue the like i don't want to say best fucking just my favorite use of music in the film is it's like I don't want I don't even remember where it is in the movie. I think it's like halfway, somewhere between halfway and three quarters through. It's he's like in the magic bus, and you hear the beginning of the song start to happen. He like pushes in on him, hard cut, and he's taking a shower in that amazing slow motion with no ceiling. Oh playing. yeah, and he's just like whipping his wet it's hair. So good, like literally euphoric. That is like that is that is the most I've ever wanted to go camping. <laughs> whole life was when i saw that part i was like oh yeah brother that is fucking awesome uh this this like i said this is a standalone piece as much as it is a piece that you can absolutely 
insert into any part of this. They go so well hand in hand. You feel like you are in the great outdoors. Uh, for me, I think the my track on this that I'll go keep going back to is No More. That song. Oh, no More Rocks. Mm. Just like lights a little bit of fire like in like exactly where I need that fire to burn. Like that is like such an awesome rockin' song. No More is a great one. And I also love the um, the two live tracks that are kind of that are on the Spotify version of this. I don't know if they were on the original album or not, but the two live tracks of um, – no more and uh what is the other one here's to the state here's to the state was also nuts because i was listening to that and hearing about like the kind of like bush era ghouls that were just about to be on their way out and yeah, thinking yeah. like this is the last time politics are going to be bad in this country and to get dick cheney out of there <laughs> yeah dick cheney was the end all <laughs> of bad politicians in washington i remember um my uncle Whenever I would see him, he's like a huge like Pearl Jam grunge guy. And I remember he told me once and it was one of those things that was like, you you got to be relatively trusting of adults when you're like a little kid. But he like told me he's like, you know, that song Yellow Lead Better by uh, Pearl Jam. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And he's like, apparently. And he better sings it differently every time he goes out on stage. And he like told me that and then like just drank like a huge drink of beer. And I was just like, I don't know about that one. Like it was one of those times like in the moment where I was like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Like you're a liar. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, he's the kind of guy who you would think would not be self-quarantining right now. Like he's like one of those guys. Like he'd be like, sure. I can go to the gym. Like what's the problem with going to the gym? Like I got to get my workout in. Uh, but he's actually taking it really uh, he's taking it really well. So shout out to Uncle Brian. Bless up Uncle Brian in the chat. What's Let's up, Uncle some... Brian? Shouts out, Uncle Brian. We're thinking of you. We're praying yeah, for you. I hope you get through quarantine okay so you can do – he told me, he's like, I'm doing prison workouts in the basement. That's what he's telling me there right you now. Go, there <laughs> you put, go. Yeah. Uh, he put like – yeah, water but... jugs on like a bar and is doing curls. Sorry, let's get let's get let's get, let's get back to into the wild. Here. Well, you, I want to jump let's... off something that you said, uh, no, or someone said about uh, or this movie being political in some way, or or this album being political in some way. And I, I this movie is one of a very few movies that makes me feel patriotic. Whoa! Like I yeah. see this movie and I'm like, I think America is actually sick of shit well it's about like the splendor of like just the the natural beauty and like man i gotta say this movie was making me also very nostalgic for a uh a long road trip the road trip i took actually right before i met noah from la to new orleans i went on a road trip with my buddy and driving we drove through new mexico texas into louisiana and just thinking about watching this movie really made me think about how much fun it was to be like on that journey and to take in just like, like I loved New Mexico, dude. I loved just like I loved the the the, the endless red sand. And when we were going, there's like a huge desert storm that was going, and uh, just 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 hitting us with just this like intense rain. And you're like, now you understand like why uh, like if you just just like it gave me the sense like the spiritual sort of feeling in a way going on this trip and being connected and yeah it does make you realize that it's like there is a lot of just pure natural beauty in this place once you get out of like the prairies of the midwest or or wherever um and it's well so- especially when you're like living in la it's like there's not really like a ton of natural beauty around so like being able to just yeah, see that i'm like, like built on 100 <laughs> percent, but like I like be I'm for uh, maybe you listeners of the podcast don't know, but I am in Portland, Oregon right now during these quarantine times. Uh, and it is one of the most lush 
beautiful places that I've ever been in my entire yeah. life is the Pacific Northwest. So literally, like, I, if I can once a day, uh, I will literally take the only time I'll step outside is I will walk the five feet from my front door to my car parked in the driveway, and I will go on a drive to, like, the country just so that I can, like, see the nature of where I'm at because it's a, it's a luxury yeah. that you don't take advantage of when you live there your entire life. And uh, that's interesting that it makes you feel – patriotic i don't i again i've only have one experience with this film and that's watching it for this podcast but uh i never felt like i guess patriotic i i I was thinking about like what are movies that like make me feel patriotic and i think as maybe lame as embarrassing as this might sound the closest i ever get to feeling patriotic is during sports movies like i just feel like dude yeah oh absolutely that's not weird at all that makes like during like rudy and like miracle and stuff like a miracle so good dude (laughs) yes and it's it's all i love that shit that's the closest i get to feeling like patriotic as i'm like yeah we gotta fucking beat those russians so come on let's do it like i get like so (laughs) invested in like the americans in that time when normally like i feel like if i was just watching olympic basketball or whatever on tv i'd be like yeah america's gonna win but like i don't give it like i it's fine if croatia beats america like that doesn't bother me (laughs) but like like, i want the i want in fact i'm kind of rooting for croatia oh i'm 100 rooting for croatia dude like let's let's real real underdog team on that one i love an underdog let Let's get Croatia. Let's talk about Croatia on the underrated music movie pod. They're an underrated country. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I never thought about the patriotic ties. I guess the closest as far as like the political side of it that I felt the, just my first time through, I understand what you guys are saying hundred percent, but was the Vince Vaughn interaction. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the Vince you Vaughn. Love this. Oh you yeah. Us, we got to talk about Vince Vaughn. When Vince Vaughn showed up, cause it seemed like it was, it really uh, blew your mind that he was in this movie. And in the same sequence as Zach Galifianakis, which is also wild that two years before being in the hangover and he, him just exploding and being this pop culture figure, he was in a Sean Penn movie. It's crazy. Yeah, and, like, in such a strange role. Like, really, like, does not, in my opinion, like, play to what you would perceive as any of Zach Galifianakis' strengths. Like, it is a strong character role, but it's, like... He doesn't talk that much. You barely see him. Like there's, he makes, like he's got his face and he covered. He still like for makes such a it. specific choice, and it must be like just informed on people from that area that you know like are actually real and exist. But it's it it was he really does just make such an impact. And he probably has what like half a dozen lines, if that, and just teaches him how to like teaches Chris McCandless how to like pre- cut and prepare wild meat, which I love. You know what it made me? Yeah. Well, it's all a setup for the moose the moose scene at the end where it's like he basically is just there as a plot device to be like if maggots get on your food then you're fucked and then like cut Dude, to an hour and a half that, later that when moose. the tragedy of this moose <laughs> that moose scene the tragedy so of the moose yeah that is brutal it's so shocking when you're not used to it to see somebody cut open an animal like if you're not used to that oh yeah that yeah. is bleak shit when he just cranks it open yeah this it's is tough. not a movie for vegans i want to get that on the record this is not a movie you should watch if you're a vegan there's a lot of like necessary uh like necessary in the fact that chris mccandless needs food to live uh evisceration and killing of of woodland critters that is very upsetting honestly but uh yeah it's a it, like they really get into the blood and the guts and the viscera of killing an animal and it is just not this is the other thing i think this movie has a very interesting um uh, uh, attitude towards Chris McCandless where 
I don't think that I think they do a good job of making you feel and and encouraging you to feel a lot of separate ways around him. Like there's a lot totally. of very obvious uh, that was really that really bugged me in the immediate aftermath of finishing this movie of like a lot of very obvious like kind of christ and religious imagery around this guy but he's also like they do a good job of just showing like the the toll that this um journey has taken on his body and also showing that like when he was in this kind of like delirious state like that's what kind of contributed to his death is that he was so hungry but he was the only person that put him in this position i think which is smart on the movies uh on the movie side is that he's the only person that put himself in this position um you know yeah and they keep hammering it home of like every time he meets somebody they warn him like this is dumb you shouldn't <laughs> yeah, do this even, stay with us stay and, with people yeah. like and he's just like nope i'm going and it's like, north it, like when you learn about like his family history you understand like why he doesn't have like a kind of you know why he doesn't have like a feel like a strong trust or attachment towards other people because that like family life was so tumultuous um, but I also think the movie does a very good job of making his parents come off as sympathetic people, too. Uh, and I think that's on Marsha Gay Harden's uh, and William Hurt. Oh my god! I'm glad you brought them up. They are they yeah. are. So, uh, William Hurt apparently is an asshole in real life. Like that's what I've heard. Apparently, yeah, he just yeah. is like a complete tool. I think Marsha Gay Harden's one of the best actresses of all time. I think she is so fucking good. And whenever she shows up in a movie, you're always shocked to see her. But you are so happy. I was so convinced that she got an Academy Award nomination for this. Um, and I think it was just for, she, I think, won an Academy Award for Mystic River. And I'm going to double, speaking of Sean Penn. Um, I think she won for Pollock, but uh, don't don't, oh, don't take right. my word for it. Pollock. Um, she won one Oscar for... Um, for but Pollock. I think you, for Pollock, you, yeah, she was nominated for Mystic River. Um, good call on that one, Noah. Good, good job, buddy. Um, Thanks. Uh, but yeah, that's what's, uh, she's incredible in this. I also think there's such a stacked, like, supporting cast in this. You got Catherine Keener, you got Jenna Malone, you got, uh, and I, I love a movie with a- Who was Catherine Keener's, uh, husband? Who is that? I- Yeah, who, he is good. (laughs) He, he- there were some scenes where I was like, but they were like when he's on at the beginning, at, uh, when they're on the rock at yeah. the beach, when he's like, you going to swim out there and get her for me, man? Or, yeah. I'm like, Ugh, what's happening here? You're going to fuck my wife for really me, really finds his rhythm. Like that, that was one of the scenes where I felt like it felt like they, I don't know, some, the energy was strange in that, in that okay, one so exchange. It just didn't this, feel... This actor's name, his name is Brian Dierker, and he has a IMDb, uh, he has IMDb credits that you can count on, like, basically one or two hands. It looks like he, he, um, is a, was a Marine coordinator of something, um, he looks like he's probably just, like, some guy that they... Because he's also, ca- um, credited as the Marine Coordinator for the movie Into the Wild. And I'm gonna look this up, what exactly he's done. Because my guess is that just, like, he was, um... He's probably just a dude. Yeah, just probably a dude. Oh, he's a boatman. Yeah, he's got a great look. I mean, he's he looks perfect for the role. And he does, for just being some guy, he does the a great job. The t- only other credit as an actor is in the movie No Strings Attached. He's Bones. <laughs> the, um, okay. the 
Ashton Kutcher, Natalie Portman, Friends with Benefits movie from the same year as Friends with Benefits so, came out. So it says it says here on the Wikipedia, it says, Brian Deerker, who plays a major supporting role in the film as Rainey, had no previous acting experience and had gotten involved in the production to be a guide for the rafting scenes. That is a little bit of Hollywood magic right there. You show up, you think you're going to be the rafting guide, awesome. and all of a sudden you have a very strong supporting turn in a movie, and you're not really in anything ever of consequence ever again. <laughs> The other, but the the you're right. The supporting cast in this movie is awesome. I want to go back to talk about Vince Vaughn, but I really also want to talk about Kristen Stewart because she is young as shit yeah. in this. This is pre Twilight. I just got a text from my dad that yeah, just said, tra- "Where are you?" Which is fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm in the house, Dad. <laughs> I'm in the wild. I'm in the magic bus. <laughs> I'm in magic bus. I'm talking to my two friends. Don't you remember? I do a podcast. Um, but uh, Kristen Stewart is young as hell in this movie and she's Mm -hmm. good and we slept on her as a nation for so long because of twilight (laughs) and then she leaves the twilight world and she's doing cool as shit stuff i can't remember if we talked about this on this podcast in in particular but this is a a topic i've been i've brought up time and time again just because i love the phenomenon of just like the two leads of twilight who got mercilessly shat on in in pop culture and by like dumb teenage boys like me and everybody in this chat um are now like two of the most respected actors and two of my favorite actors that i love to watch like more than anything like it's like if you told <laughs> thanks for the thumbs up buddy uh if you told like 14 year old me that one of my favorite actors is going to be robert pattinson i would be uh so confused and be like oh i'm gonna like twilight what's going on you know um but yeah, you're so right that she's so good in this and it just goes to show you that it's probably less of a acting thing and more of a material thing <laughs> that those a material thing as well as a director thing because I don't want to, you know, nothing against uh, the people who are directing the Twilight movies, but when Sean Penn is your director, who is one of the or finest or Olivier Asias, <laughs> but Sean Penn is, you know, one of the finest male actors of the 20th century and 21st century, like straight up. Like he is just in a class of his own. He's, you know, or not in a class of his own, but like he is in like a class above. He, I would put him in like the ranks of like a, like a, like a Al Pacino. Like I would put him up there. Like, I think that he is like, he definitely is. Yeah. That level. And so when you have someone directing you like that, who really does know what you're going through as someone who's been on the other side and you know, credit to her as well she's fucking awesome she is like funny and like she's like weird on snl but like she like handles it better than like other people have handled snl like <laughs> big time like she's done some okay stuff like she she there's no discredit on that but let's let's talk about the joker himself vince vaughn in this movie because <laughs> he is one of the most baffling actors to me because he will do his comedy thing. He does Wedding Crashers. He does uh, Old School, whatever. And then every, like, five or seven years, he shows up in something that's not that. And he's like, now you have to fucking take me seriously as an actor. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, it's funny you say that because the most recent movie that I saw with Vince Vaughn before I just rewatched this was uh, a recommendation from my older brother who's been trying to get me to watch, uh, what is it, Rumble and Cell Block? Oh, uh, Brawl yeah, and Cell Block, yeah, which is <laughs> such an insane, ridiculous movie. I heard good things about it. What's uh, what, what's up with that? Uh, it was, I mean, it's just kind of like, I went into it not realizing what it was, which is just like a goofy, like pulpy 
just violent chaotic mess like i thought it was going to be like a serious like a guy goes to prison like drama and it's not <laughs> that at all um but uh i liked it okay i'm not big into like violence for violence sake like for spectacle like i'll, I'll like something like pulp fiction or something where there's like clearly a lot of narrative elements being wrapped up around a violent chaotic I like visual that is interesting to me, but when it's just kind of like stuff like Saw or like this movie had some interesting narrative elements, but it really was just kind of like watch Vince Vaughn snap a guy's Uh-oh. arm in half or like hit him over the head with a barbell or like <laughs> stomp his head into a toilet or whatever, Man, which is cool. But you guys remember True Detective season you know. two? I was so yank Mason, Mason, bless up for you in the chat on that one. That yeah, dude. was the biggest turnoff of a show of all fucking time. Yeah. Uh, the brilliance of season one of true detective yeah. is unbelievable TV, just unbelievable. And then they're like, well, we're going to do an anthology and you gotta be okay with that. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, who is, who's <laughs> in the cast? That was the thing in TV at the time then, dude. <laughs> well, they're like, well, who, who are you going to, who's going to be next? And then I see it's, uh, it's Kit, is it Kit Harrington? Is that who one of them was? Or am I right on that? Because I, one of them was Colin memory, Farrell. It's, Co- it's Colin Farrell, Rachel McAdams, Vince Vaughn, and, um, oh God, he was on, uh, he was in, he was John Carter of Mars. What's his, I think it is, tr- I think it is, I think it is Kit Harrington. It's true detective. Yeah, season two cast. This is the first thing that comes up. Uh, yeah, it is uh, Taylor Kitsch. Excuse me, not Kit Harrington. Taylor Kitsch. Um, and holy fuck, guys. I, season two of True Detective with Vince Vaughn as like the villain. I didn't even, I did not finish it, first of all. I just got to be very clear. I did not finish oh, it. Oh, really? But I cannot tell you how upset I was when he turned out to be, like, the the bad guy. It was so frustrating. Again, maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe I put the cart before the horse on that one. But that is what I'm talking about. In 1998, he does the – he is Norman Bates in the remake of the Psycho film. He is – yeah. It's just upsetting beyond all belief. And then I also think that he's like a right wing douche as well, to be honest, from what I've been told. Yeah, I think I found out about that, too. Also a Chicago boy. Also a Chicago boy. Yeah, that's also true. That's it for the Chicago boys in the chat. He's huge, too. He's like 6'4", I I think he's like a big fucking guy. Like, he is like a, like... He's he's the thinking man's Rob Riggle. That's what, the, that's what Vince Vaughn is. He is the thinking man's Rob Riggle. He's the fratty big guy whose joke is that he doesn't like you. Like that's the joke is that he's like I don't like that guy. Like that's that's his big thing. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. God, Vince Vaughn. If, if what what a career that man has had. What a what a what a life. <laughs> and I want to just life. make it clear. I like him in old school and in wedding crashers. And I actually liked him in this movie, but you can tell that there are times when he's talking to Emil Hirsch in the bar where he is like, I got to act now. And he like gets huge and big and they start screaming society for some reason. And you're just yeah. like, buddy, buddy, take it, take it back. You are operating so much better when you're at like a negative five <laughs> instead <laughs> of a 10 is what you're at in this scene. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, what is your guys's favorite Vince Vaughn performance? Oh, in this, as part of this movie or in general? In general. Probably either Wedding Crashers or Swingers. I do love... I just have a soft spot for Swingers in general. Like, I just love that movie. And so, it, like, all of that is good to me, and he's great in that. What about you, Mace? You're not. You're going to get really mad at me for a second, but it's... 
my friend uh in true detective season two came out when i was a senior in college and almost all my friends like watched it and were in on it even if nobody liked it you know what i mean and i would go this is big when i was going to see my friends perform in chicago which is like various kind of like small theaters doing comedy and stuff sure which is what i wish i was doing now uh but shelter in place and all that stuff is going on so my friend annie once opened a show that they were in by reciting the rat speech from true detective season two i don't know if you ever got that far um, no. so that is my favorite Vince Vaughn performance is my friend, Annie Sullivan doing the, <laughs> doing the rat speech from true detective season two. Yep. You're right. I am mad at you for a second. Yep. You <laughs> called that one. Um, yeah, I'm going to also have to go. It's either swingers or, um, wedding crashers. I haven't seen wedding crashers in so long. I've seen swingers more recently. I forgot about it until you had yeah, said anything, same. but, uh, that is. Oh, he's, also in, that's a, he's also in Jurassic Park too. Let's not forget. Let's get big ups for the Lost World Jurassic Park too. Lest we forget big the ups. Jurassic Park sequels. Um, is there any? <laughs> is there yeah. anything else that we feel that we need to say about uh, Into the Wilds, uh, either the film or the soundtrack by Mr. Eddie Vedder? Uh, Jake, why don't you go? This is you. You you brought this on. Do you? What do you? What else do you have to say about this? This movie. This experience. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I really feel like the main points that I wanted to get across on this is that movie is good despite what people think about I, I just feel like so many people have a negative uh, preconception of this movie either because they had they were forced to read the book in high school. And so just by nature being homework, everything related to this movie became bad to them. And then also, I think there's this notion that this character, McCandless, because he is like a privileged like rich kid who goes into the wild and kind of get gets what gets what's coming to him uh that he is like undeserving of this movie or like his story being told like i think that it is the actual message of the movie i think is very compelling and it it is applicable to anybody that there you need to have like social interactions with people yeah and to be humans are social animals and that 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 not only do you need it to survive but that's like his whole thing is like he wants to find adventure and and the spice of life and i think like that also comes from the relationships that you make with people and that like you can be blind to that if you are singularly focused on something like going into the wild for example i think i think that that's i think that's a really nice little point to bring it back home because uh personally speaking uh i had to read some excerpts from into the wild i think actually in college believe it or not like even in college they're still trying to force this fucking book down your throat (laughs) uh and i had to read some excerpts from it and i remember uh our teacher she didn't give us any background on it she was just like read this these excerpts and then we came back the next day and we're like so what did you think people like oh wow it's like he was very brave like he had all these things to say and then like one girl in the back of the class like raised her hand and was like didn't he come from uh money and didn't he go to a well uh liberal arts school in the south like she like rattled off like everything that you're saying which is like a reason like to not like this guy and i think that not liking him is valid because you don't have to like somebody or like a character, especially in a work of fiction, to like the film. We talked about a movie called Buffalo 66 that we talked about with your roommate yeah. and friend and our friend Rocky Parito, where I don't think I like that guy. You know, I don't think I like Billy Brown. I empathize with Billy Brown, but I don't like him. 
it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think that is a similar situation for Chris McCandless. We don't know Chris McCandless, the guy, really. We just know what is reported of Chris McCandless in both the book, the article that originally was written, and this film. Um, and I think that also one of the things that's interesting is that not only do you have to um, have human connection, you have, and the reason I think that he does this often, you know, I think you can trace his whole journey from the fact that he does have a difficult relationship with his parents and specifically his dad because of some of the uh, yeah. transgressions that the dad had uh, while, you know, he was fathering Chris. And I think that one of the things that he ultimately learns is that you have to have these quote unquote negative experiences. That's kind of what makes your life your life is these combination of new experiences, good or bad. And I think that uh, Hal Holbrook's character really sort of pinpoints that for him at the end, regardless if he's willing to accept it or not. And obviously structurally wise, that's like when he's dying, you know, and so they have that really bad irony that you were, or that really intense irony that you were saying. And often, I think that's a very similar message to like Eternal Sunshine, where it's like they can never like get rid of those memories really because that's just like it's part of their story it's who they are and i think that is one of the more powerful things about this film and uh it is a little misunderstood because yes it was homework but uh i recommend both this film and the album thank you jake thank you jake yes absolutely happy to bring it to you i definitely i mean i went back and forth on uh how i felt about this movie kind of right after i was done watching it because it is like the experience of watching it is very overwhelming like it is really it's very it's dealing in kind of every all the elements land earth sea uh sky air you know fire uh it's very elemental movie and it's dealing with kind of um through the last two years roughly of a, a very young man's life like he died when he when Chris McCandless died when he was like what 23 or 24 yeah. um he kind of uh you you get like the scope of of like the kind of the whole arc of a life and kind of everything that you're supposed to learn and he learns it and then he dies um and I went back and forth and on just like kind of the presentation of it because it was so um over the top and very uh expressionistic in a way and some people might even say that it's a it has got a touch of the pretension there just a just a little what did you think about the part where where he's eating the apple and he's like doing <laughs> you're so sweet. you know what you're i so thought... organic and then he like looks directly into the camera and like winks while that's the music a little is that was a that was <laughs> i kind of liked that honestly because it seemed like i kind of appreciate a moment of that um just that little winking moment that kind of broke the reality of it for a second just because i like those in general and i think that they're if they're if it's just a second like that like i think about the the moment it's in the end of the movie but in purple rain there's a part where prince turns to the camera during a performance and like points at the audience and that at that point in that movie i i ascend um but i think (laughs) i've settled on the fact that you know this movie, I think, treats its subject very responsibly, where it acknowledges the arrogance and the kind of grandeur and the s- splendor and the spectacle, not really of this guy, this very human guy, but kind of of the journey that he went on and what he learned. Totally. Um, and I think that it is a very easy movie to kind of misunderstand or to think that it's encouraging people to 
um, go out and may you know maybe it is a little pretentious, but I think that movies can have a little pretension just just as a treat, just 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 little little dash, little little salt on top of it. Um, so this is also a recommend for me, and it's definitely a recommend for an album. Honestly, like this is one of my this has just kind of been an album that I've loved for a very long time, and I hadn't thought about listening to it again until you brought it on the show, and I was really happy that uh, you did, and I got another chance to listen to to, to and just like drive around and listen to hard sun a lot like i used to when i was in high school so Hell yeah, yeah. His, really, really appreciate uh, there, it yeah there's another there's another album this isn't my like end of show recommendation but since we're on uh the idea of eddie vetter he released an album in 2011 just called ukulele songs and uh-huh. uh yeah. that album is awesome i don't know if you guys have ever listened to that or given that one a shot but uh, no i haven't i really haven't explored really nice eddie vetter all that much in general like i have i don't really listen to pearl jam Oh, I think we I think we just had a a really bad uh, lag out because I did not hear you say anything there for like a solid 10 seconds. Uh, Okay. Um, Yeah, I think it cut out for you as well. um, Let let me let me go back by just saying that I'm going to recommend the ukulele uh, songs album. Sorry, I fucking hate that. I'm sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) Is everyone is is everyone is everybody good? I'm going to check that out. Yeah, man, I'm good. Uh, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show and t- and bringing this mo- this movie and this album. Do you have uh, what? Do you have any pluggables? Anything you want the people to? Uh, where can the folks find you? What are you up to? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm sure if you just had Rocky on, then everything now has already been mentioned on this pod. But I will be happy to bring it up again. We do uh, a Twitch interactive live stream improv and sketch variety show that happens every sunday and wednesday at 8 p.m pacific time at twitch.tv slash everything now show so you can check us out there uh and actually when does this come out this podcast Uh, this monday oh okay well in that case chris may or may not have survived a 48 (laughs) hour marathon live stream but that's happening uh, <laughs> tonight at midnight through next Saturday at midnight. So the VOD will be available when this comes out so you can go see how we nice. did. <laughs> um, and other than that, uh, follow me on Twitter. That's pretty much the only social media that I use. And my handle is just my name, at Jake Ellen Bogan, E-L-L-E-N-B-O-G-E. Nice. Whoa. Thank you for spelling that out so that when I'm listening through and making the description, I can find you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but thanks for having me, guys. This is really fun. I love this movie. I love this album, and I'm happy to have shared it. Hell yeah, dude. Mason, where yeah. can the folks find you? The folks can find me on tw- on Instagram at Hot Dog to Bicky, also at Good Sky Tonight T O N I T E, which is if this movie and this discussion got you, uh, it, it like you got got to see nature, taking a lot of pictures of the sky and posting them on Instagram under Good Sky Tonight. Uh, I'm also on Letterboxd, just under my name. I'm also on Spotify, where I'm making little little playlists, and you could also find a kind of running list of all the albums that we've ever talked about on this show and all that stuff. Other than that, uh, just just generally around in my in my childhood bedroom, reading some books. Uh, Noah, where can the folks find you? 
Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Moa Narger, and they can find me on Letterboxd at Moa Narger as well. Uh, if you want to interact with this show at all on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at It's On underscore The List, on Twitter at It's On The List Pod, and like us on Facebook, It's On The List with Noah and Mason. You can also email the show. Uh, oh, fuck. I always fuck this part up so bad. Everybody <laughs> wants two. Le- number two. Letter two. Everybody wants two. Get on the list at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, your recommendations. Why do you not like the show? What can we be doing to make the show better? How can we get a better fucking internet connection so that we don't <laughs> glitch out every 20 minutes when we're having a good part of the conversation? Uh, you can also find me uh, on Instagram at YLG.world. We are releasing some content during this quarantine time as well. That's pretty much it. Jake Ellen Bogan, check out everything now. I love doing the show. Jake, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. See you all next time that we see you. And, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for being in here. Bop, bop, just fucking hits you like a ton of bricks you're like oh fuck yeah. like you know he like the literally how holbrook's character is like what if i adopted you and you were like legally my son and then you know that he's like dying of starvation and doesn't have a soul left that can, he can talk to while he's in alaska and you're just like sitting there like oh man like it's so it's so well done that moment i agree yeah <laughs> cool (laughs) thank you jake you there oh no jake is frozen on our end are you still there buddy Uh uh-oh oh oh crap jake oh boy i was waiting for the day that this was gonna happen yes chef um yeah can you hear me do you want to text jake i can hear you do you want to text jake and see he said that um... his computer just crashed oh no Uh uh-oh Hey, he's back. <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> Jake. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. No, no, dude, this hap- this happens all the time with my other podcast. I can hear yeah. you. Yeah. This happens all the time with my other podcast. Um and I just do all the editing. I'll take this this section out or maybe i'll put it at the end of the episode (laughs) maybe i'll keep it in we'll see uh but just hit yeah it sounds good actually i'll okay i'll clap at the same time just so that i have a good all right three two one cool uh can you hear us yes i can hear you clearly what was the last last thing thing you heard? heard